welcome to Football Digest as England prepare for their second World Cup group stage game against the United States in Qatar on Friday. England have been among the most impressive big nations so far at the World Cup, winning 6-2 on their opening match day against Iran. The United States, meanwhile, could only manage a one-all draw against Wales. Here to talk everything England, uh, we have John Cross and shortly to be joined uh, by Andy Dunn. And I think the best place to kick off... um, in the England discussion, John, is some cons- injury concerns and question marks over the captain, Harry Kane, uh, who played about half an hour on what was later described as an injured ankle uh, against Iran on the opening match there. Can you bring us up to speed with everything from the England camp, what's been said about Harry Kane? Yeah, it was um, it, it was an injury scare, really. I mean, it was a bizarre one because directly after the game, he made it pretty clear that he was absolutely fine. Um, but then... Um, uh, twenty within twenty four hours, had been sent to a scan. I think it was just literally to um, just be just be sure, a sort of a precautionary thing, really. But it obviously set alarm bells ringing because he's such a big player for England, isn't he? I mean, even the other night when England scored six, and you know their main man Talisman top scorer doesn't score, he still played brilliantly in my view. So they were obviously nervous about it, and with a history of ankle injuries. But it's all clear. He did actually do some training work yesterday. There was different, you know, different plans for different players. Those who started, those who hadn't started. But he was out there on the grass, as they say these days. And um, and and yeah, yeah, I, I would expect him to play and start um, for England against the United States on Friday night. So that's a fantastic boost. And uh, he he took part in a full session for England yesterday. Um... No, no hints or concerns that that he wasn't he wasn't uh, particularly fit when he was doing those sessions. Well, and I would, what I would say is, Peter, not 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 the full session, but I don't think I think they basically balanced it up. So all the starters didn't do, you know, the, the really hard grueling session. Um, they, they sort of kind of did a bit more of a um, a lighter session that the others in the squad probably you know had it harder because they just want to rest and rotate. Listen, it's a short spell between each game. So, but that's not a concern. Concern basically. So he was he did what what was expected. So I would expect him to start really. But they are having to mix up the uh, training session and workloads um, between the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy, uh, welcome along. Uh, we've just been speaking about uh, Harry Kane, obviously. Um, at this stage, Gareth Southgate probably not making contingency plans to to go with Rashford or or Wilson from the start against the United States. Uh, Kane still very much in the. Uh, in the forefront of the manager's thinking. Absolutely. Everything that John just said, you know, I I totally agree with that. However, what I would say is that I don't think if in the, what seems like um, unlikely event that Kane is not fit to play against the United States, I don't think he'll be unduly concerned. You know, I do think actually they can probably, I mean, look at the performance of Callum Wilson when he came on the other night. Okay. Iran were, were a beaten side by then. But I think Gareth Southgate was particularly impressed with the selflessness of Callum Wilson for the Jack Grealish goal. And I do think that it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be the end of the world, well, the end of the World Cup, if if, if Kane actually, you know, didn't make um, the United States game. I'm, I'm convinced he will, the same as John. I'm, I'm absolutely certain that he'll play. But I think that Southgate is not, you, you know, if for this game... After the start they've had, I don't think he'd think it was, you know, some sort of um, cataclysmic sort of blow if Kane didn't make it. I think he's confident in the depth of his squad. He's confident in the variety of attacking options that he has. 
Um, I think that's been boosted enormously by that opening game, you know, where, where all the goals came from without Kane and um, contribute to that goal tally. So, so, so yes, Peter, I, I don't I think Kane will play. I'm the same as John. I'm, I'm pretty sure he'll play. But I don't think Southgate would be, you know, losing any sleep if he thought, well, listen, you know what? Maybe he might have to rest Kane. I mean, can you imagine if, if there was a problem and it was exacerbated by him playing? Um, the chances are that even without Kane will qualify anyway. Um, and you know, it, it, being devil's advocate, you might think, well, you know what? Let's 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 be precautionary here. And what we need came fifth for. I know this is getting ahead of ourselves. Is the knockout stages? So, so yes, he will play, but it wouldn't be the end of the world if he didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you could see you could see that maybe with Belgium last night, for example, who 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 didn't even have Lukaku named as a substitute because mm-hmm. I guess when you're a contending team, a bigger team like you know, with all due respect to England, they are at this World Cup. You're not looking mm-hmm. at it as as a three game tournament. You're looking at it more like a seven game tournament. Absolutely, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> they should have come unstuck Belgium actually um, last night. As um, as anyone who watched that game will know, they were extremely fortunate to to win that game. Um, how Kevin De Bruyne was man of the match, I'll, I'll never ever know. He 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 didn't know himself actually. He, he found it quite embarrassing. But yes, you're right, Peter. And I think I think that's what exactly what Gareth Southgate echoes everything you just said there. You know, yes, you can't be presumptuous and say, well, we're, you know. We're gonna get through to the knockout stages. Of course not. However, however, you must plan accordingly. And the fact of the matter is now is that is that England need, you know, a win against the US or against Wales. And he's not going to take any risk with with his with his blue chip players um, in those games because England should, with their squad, have enough depth that no matter and again, this sounds like you know, this is what we always get accused of, arrogance, etc. But they should have enough depth. Whatever eleven um, they start with against these two teams, they should have enough to to cope with them. So yes, you're right. Uh, it, you know, thinking beyond the group stages isn't presumptuous. It's just practical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had some great substitute performances the other night, uh, John. Uh, from obviously Wilson, Rashford came on, Grealish. Um, some fantastic uh, performances in the attacking sense uh, from the substitutes. Has that even done enough to displace the? Foden as well. Has any of them done enough to displace uh, Southgate starters from the first game, or do you expect England to line up injury injury concerns permitting? Do you expect them to line up with, with the same eleven that that they lined up with in their in their opening game? Yeah, I think fitness wise and um, fitness William really, I think that, that he would name an unchanged team. I think um, I think it was great that he sort of kind of went with a with a you know a four. And basically, that enabled him to get more attacking players in. Blimey, they've got a fantastic array of options. And what I, I, I do think is that if they were to, you know, for example, win that second game, let's not forget in the first, um, in, in the World Cup um, four years ago, um, they um, uh, rested and rotated the team completely, didn't they, for that third game against Belgium. And I do think they've got that option. I think the ones to look out for still to have a role in, in, in the tournament moving forward are Grealish and Foden. There's no doubt about it that I think, you know, if it, Harry Kane wants to start every single game, almost demand it. He's still chasing down Rooney's record, two goals short of that. And then basically he um, he's just desperate, I think, to, to, to play. But it's those options around him and, and maybe in midfield as well. You know, we'll see, if, you know, Phillips, for example, in sort of kind of in that third game. But for now, I think that, you know, United States will be a a tougher game, I think, 
Um, I think it will be more uh, physical. I think it will be more um, more sort of kind of traditional British style, if you, if you like, really. Um, obviously, it's against the US, but I think it'd be more about set pieces. And anyone that watched them against Wales will understand what I mean. And they're basically, you know, they, they, they were they posed and attacking threat. I thought they played quite well. And I think it's just about getting that um, getting that balance right for England, I think. And, I, you know, to that end, I just don't see that they'll interrupt a, a winning flow. And I do think, by the way, I think Harry Maguire's fit. So, again, I think he'll keep a similar similar structure to the team in the same faces. Uh, over the years since Southgate's been in charge, Sean, um, we've we've seen England play in almost two ways. One against the big teams, uh, which is sort of three at the back, a little bit more cautious. And as you mentioned, set pieces would become increasingly important. And the other way they play is against the smaller teams, like they played against Iran, which is with a four on the front foot, a 4-3-3 type formation. Do you think England are looking at USA like a big team? Uh, obviously, champions in North America, uh, good side themselves, uh, or are they looking at them more like a small team? Yeah, well, to answer your question, I think they'll stick with the four. That's my hunch rather than an absolute no yet. But basically, you know, I think that that's the way they'll do it. But I think you're right. I think that basically as soon as they come against a bigger team in the knockout, I do think they've got that option to go a three. And I think to that end, I mean, you know, a few of us spoke to Carl Walker yesterday at the England training base and, you know, he, he's convinced he's he's fit. I made this sort of kind of obvious question of asking you fit to start, which, you know, he quickly, quickly pointed out that basically it's not necessarily down to him, is it? Of course, he thinks he's fit to start, but the manager might not yet agree. But I wouldn't be surprised if amongst those array of substitutes, and we do get lots of substitutes in this tournament, it's all about the substitutes and the, um, you know, and the squad rotation a little bit because the, you know, compact nature of the tournament. Then I do feel as if, you know, Walker might well get some minutes um, you know, on, on Friday night. So I do think as if he's blending back. And he is the perfect option to come into a back three. I think he's, if England play and they've got everyone fit and they play with a three, I think Walker is one of the first names in the team sheet because he's got that power, he's got that pace. He just reads the game so well from that, that right side of the back three. And so I think he's a really strong option. So I think as, as the tournament goes on, there's no doubt in my mind they've got the versatility and the option to switch to a three and I think they'll do that. Um, Andy, how are things been around around the England camp? I know you guys in, in Qatar, you get to spend some time uh, in and around the camp and, and around the players, picking up the vibes. Um, how, how have things been down there? There's no, no cabin fever at this stage, I'd imagine. Everybody's happy. I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, I'm I'm not privy to what they grew up to in the in the hotel complex in Al Wakra. Um, I don't think they grew up to much. I'm not sure they get out and about a bit. Um, and they do tend to spend a lot of time um after the media duties, you know, um in and around the the, the complex there. Listen, it, it's not I don't think I mean this sounds you know, sort of like you know, they're hell in a five-star luxury hotel, but I don't think this tournament's it's particularly easy for them in the sense that I don't think there'll be the same interaction they've had in the past with their families and friends, for example. You know, there seems to be a little bit of a curb on on who can come into the camp because there are still fears. There are still fears of COVID. You know, I mean, we're in a situation where, where when when we interview players in a in a more you know relatively intimate setting, you know, we still have to wear masks. You know, that that, that seems. I'm, I'm sure to everyone back home, that seems. A little bit over the top, but that's the case here. You know, people do still wear masks here, so I do think that there's not, there's not. I, th- I think the more, 
isolated. I mean, they're always isolated in the sense that they're always, you know, you know, um, in camp together with few distractions. But I do think they've probably got um, less interaction with, with the outside world, if, if you want to put it that way, than they have normally. Now, as I say, that's not to say that, that, that you know, they're undergoing any hardship. But I, just, but I do think that it's probably a little bit more difficult. However, you know, from the evidence of what the players, you know, say, and, it, and they're not likely to say otherwise, you know, morale seems to be extremely high. I spoke to um, um, Jordan Pickford yesterday about James Madison, who missed the United States game again, who who is still on his own personal training programme and, and not taking part in the squad training. It was his birthday yesterday, his 26th birthday. Um, and I just, you know, we, we asked Pickford about, you know, what morale was like in Madison's case. Because can, can you imagine, you know, when we interviewed him at the start of the tournament, you know, no one could have been more enthusiastic, more buoyant. It was his, you know, his first World Cup at the age of, well, now 26. Um, um, an infectious character. So you can imagine how frustrating it must be for him to not actually play a part at the moment. And we asked, you know, but Pickford said, well, you know, no, listen, we keep his spirits up. He's he's buzzing around the camp. They're having a laugh. And, of course, it helps when you win your first game 6-2. So in answer to your question, you know, England, uh, Southgate and his staff are now relatively old hands at this, you know, um, in terms of how to keep uh, the squad, um, <laughs> what do I have it, um, occupied, entertained, amused, uh, you know, in in a camp, and they've done it before. They did it in, in Russia. Bear in mind where they were staying in some in somewhere far more re- remote, and they got to the semi-finals there. So, in answer to your question, you, you know, I think you know morale looks excellent. Um, but again, we talk about all these peripheral things, hotels, you know, and etc. But what will always keep morale high is when you keep getting good football results. Yeah, well, uh, John, if if they're watching football together, they might be getting pretty scared by all these um, decent underdog performances. Saudi Arabia beating Argentina and obviously Japan yesterday uh, against Germany. Something to guard against, I think, uh, for England. Um, you know, uh, those those teams from the Asian Confederation, Japan and Saudi Arabia, showing that, uh, you know, if the favourite sides are not on it from minute one in game one, then, you know, um, they could come unstuck. Yeah, they definitely could. And as I never tell of saying, Iran have a, had a higher and have a higher world ranking than, than both of those. So, you know, it also maybe puts into perspective England's victory, which, you know, was rather dismissed in some quarters by just, oh, it's only Iran, you know, kind of, you know, what's that about? Basically six goals, that means nothing. We'll actually look at the results since. Look, I... I I tend to think that it's 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 always revealing. I mean, there's a there's a history, isn't there, of teams losing the first game and then you know still getting into finals or or, or, or even winning it in the past. And I just feel as if you know it's difficult to write, you know read too much into it. But I do feel there hasn't been a lot of preparation time for for some nations, and some nations are clearly handling it better than others. You looked at Argentina and, and obviously the goals disallowed, but also the you know, they, they, they were so close so many times, if you like. So they could have run rampant, but it was the small details which meant they didn't. And, and you know, again, Germany, failure to kill off uh, off the game meant, it, it, you know, it came back to bite them. And what do we cover? Belgium, as, as Andy quite rightly says, basically could have so easily lost against Canada, who were, you know, unlucky and, you know, had a penalty which they missed. And, you know, that that's a frustration. So there's a warning there for, for the bigger nations. But the other thing that really, you know, 
I think, you know, is worth noting is that basically France, they look really good, didn't they? They're missing so many big players. They look so many, you know, but looked excellent. Let's see how Brazil go. But Spain, we have we just haven't been talking about them. And then they deliver a, a performance like that. It's no matter the opposition, it's still difficult to score that many goals and then also create that many chances and look so fluid and look so, you know, so so sharp and so good. And so they they really impressed me. So I think that's another name to to add to the list of, you know, of potentials. It's a really open tournament in my view. And uh, Andy, as far as the gap goes between, you know, I know I've seen it mentioned between the UEFA teams, let's say, and certain South American teams, Argentina, Brazil, pre-tournament, and the also-rans, the teams from North America, Asia, Africa. Uh, how do you see that gap during this particular World Cup? Is it is it wider than ever? Is it a cause for concern? Or, or do you see actually sort of... Um, let's call it a, a small gap between those nations. A small gap, if any, really. I mean, listen, we will see Brazil later when they play um, Serbia, is it, I think, in the last game today. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll gauge more by, from that, certainly on the evidence of what Argentina produced in that one game. You wouldn't have thought there's any gap between, between them and the UEFA nations. And then, as John just said, you, you know, I think, I, think, I think Japan's results. And what was interesting about the Japan game is that you know they they had the players they brought on you know were relatively strong you know they've got they've got more strength and depth than you would imagine so um so I don't think the so-called last nation listen Spain were fantastic but I thought Costa Rica was was were, were spectacularly poor you know as where it ran I mean I, I know I know John mentioned the rankings but listen never mind the rankings because the rankings are you know are pretty much you know you you could read nonsensical stuff into it all the way down could you like you know belgium was supposed to be second or something but they were they were hopeless last night um so i wouldn't bother about the rankings at all um but you know costa rica poor that was a mismatch england around was a mismatch um but i don't think you're going to get many you know i don't think you're going to get many of those and you know it, it, it's it's a very glib thing to say but you know, it, it's a relatively. You know, these are essentially one-off games. You know, they they really are, and and you know, the vagaries of the games, a VAR decision can go against teams. I think we'll see the odd mismatch, but I do think um, if it's certainly the Argentina performance then to go by, and contrast that with a couple of European performance, Spain, England. Okay, I I think that it, it's the the pre-tournament suggestion that the two South American giants are going to be significantly better than the best challenge from UEFA and elsewhere is going to be wrong. And you would much rather be in England's shoes right now than than either Argentina or Germany. Obviously, Germany, yeah. you know, seeing a seven-goal swing in the goal difference once Spain start playing as well. And I've seen, uh, you know, sort of speculated lineups for the Argentina game against Mexico, and it looks like they're going to play with four up front. And you just don't want to be in that position where you're panicking after one match day. Well, exactly. I don't. I don't forget, PC. You know, um, Germany's next game is is Spain on Sunday, which will be. You, know, you certainly don't want that type of game, that do or die, that sort of with with a team that is absolutely flying and full of great young talents. You don't want that on. But but, but this, these things happen. You, you know, don't forget Germany didn't make it through the qualifiers, the the you know the, the group stages of the World Cup in Russia. So, you know, it's not, there will be one or two go out. It's like, it's like, you know, you will have, you've got eight eight teams, eight groups, sorry, and you will have one or two surprises not getting through. The same as you do in the Champions League, you'll have one or two surprises not getting through. Germany could be one of those. 
But you're absolutely right. England are in a position, the perfect star for England was the win and for the other two teams to draw. I mean, that's your dream scenario to a certain extent. And that's what's happened. And, and yes, they'll be feeling far more comfortable than, than the players and the coaches of Germany and Argentina will be in the next couple of days. For sure, John. I just wonder, John, have you spoken to any of the any of the uh, German contingent, German press uh, contingents? Because for me, that's a stunning result. Because sometimes you can see it coming. You know, you can see you can see teams entering the World Cup, and you think, okay, they've got big players, but they're not playing particularly well. They're not a particularly good team at the minute. But for me, that Germany result comes from absolutely nowhere. Um, how has it gone down with um, with some of the travelling press corps over there? Yeah, look, it's interesting, really. It's all about perception, isn't it? So basically, I've got I've got a pal in German TV who often we swap WhatsApps and basically done that subsequently. And I mean, by the way, he, I mean, he could not understand on the back of the kind of you know the Nations League games why there was so much negativity still about England because he said England's squad is so much stronger, so much deeper. Than, than Germany's and basically he was pointing to oh, so, so, you know this is you know this is Germany and basically it's just it just doesn't doesn't get it and I mean I you know Masala and basically there's other really really good players coming through and uh, he, he yeah he's gone down really badly obviously because you have that double jeopardy now because as Andy points out they lose their next game that's it you know, I mean, I suppose mathematically, you know, teams can still do it, but it's highly unlikely. Um, and you know, so therefore, it's 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 some criticism. It's that they don't think. I I think the perception in Germany is that they're not as strong as everyone else thinks because we blindly sort of say, oh, the Germans they're going to go deep in the tournament. But you know, that's not been the case in recent times, and I I think there's been. Has been, shall I say, dis- disappointed and the massive criticism, but I don't think that the Germans feel as if they're that strong. They've got major issues to overcome, um, and I think that they were fully expecting to win that game. That's the game that's killed them, and therefore, yeah, that there's a lot of there's a lot of criticism, disappointment. I don't think the Germans think that they, that they perhaps were were a team that's going to win it. And today, obviously, I'll just finish off with this one. I know you guys need to go and get camp. Um, we're going to look at Cristiano Ronaldo for the first time uh, at the World Cup. He's looking for a job now, uh, Cristiano, uh, and uh, Portugal play Ghana today. Um, Brazil and Portugal, probably the only two big teams that haven't played at this stage. Uh, what are we expecting from from Portugal and Ronaldo in particular after such a you know such another landmark uh, headline making week from him? Well, I just I just think that, that Portugal they still pin their hopes on him. He's the talisman. He makes sure that it's always about him, doesn't it? To be to be honest, even if his powers are fading. Listen, they've got. A, I think they've actually got a good team now. They've got a strength in depth, and basically, um, they've, they've they've sort of almost gone through a transitional period where they've lost that generation, moved on to a fresh generation, and yet still kept Ronaldo. And so, I, I I think he'll be more determined, more fired up than ever because he just you know, will be hurt and bruised by what's happened and determined to make his point that he's still the man. And and, and let's see. But I, I, I just feel as if, you know, the Ronaldo ship has sailed, frankly. And I think the last couple of weeks has been deeply embarrassing. And, you know, there's, there's not enough people to tell him around him to tell him, actually, Cristiano, you, you're making a fool of yourself here. It's not all about you. 
And I think if he attempts to make it all about him in this World Cup, then that's the biggest danger for Portugal, in my view. And Andy, uh, briefly, from from a Man United perspective, uh, as John mentioned, that ship has sailed. They've moved on from Cristiano Ronaldo. They're about to move on from the Glazers as well, it looks like. What a week it's been for Man United fans. But, uh, you know, no regrets from Man United's side at this stage? No, and you have to say that it's probably... Um, I know it's early in his tenure to say it's a landmark moment, but it feels hugely significant for Eric Tan Hag, doesn't it? You, you know, he's been, essentially, he's been the winner in this. Essentially, he's made his point throughout um, um, the six months he's had with Ronaldo, and he's proven himself to be a guy very much <clears throat> his own man, a guy very much in charge. And I think that's the important thing. And they can all move on now. You know, they, they, they can move on. That before, you know, the one thing about the Ronaldo thing, you know, that I, I found particularly um, particularly disappointing was the timing. You, you know, bear in mind that United's last game before the World Cup break was was an away win in which um, a senior player in Christian Eriksen, who keeps his head down, is humble, who doesn't look for the headlines, who, who just goes about his business ultra-professionally, a veteran player like him, scored a goal and made the assist for a winning goal scored by an 18-year-old who is the future of Manchester United. I think that really was a good point for them all to move on. It's been messy. It was unfortunate the way maybe it ended, but it's best now that they all move on. And it's, in a way, in a way, this is another star for Ten Hag. He can now get on with, get on with it without being... Listen, Fernando Santos, the manager of Portugal, he rolled his eyes the other day because he kept getting asked, and Bruno Fernandes kept getting asked about Cristiano Ronaldo. And he sat there and he rolled his eyes, he looked up at the ceiling, basically every question was about Ronaldo. And bear in mind, Ronaldo is not a guaranteed start in the Portugal team. Anyway, every question was about Ronaldo. And to a certain extent, that was happening with Ten Hag, wasn't it? You know, you know so they have a, a, a great result against, um, was it Tottenham Hotspur at home? And the story that we end up asking about is Cristiano Ronaldo flouncing off before the final whistle. So that's gone now. He doesn't have to go through the Fernando Santos eye-rolling thing every time now when he asks about Ronaldo. A new era for him, relatively speaking. So I think best for all parties concerned. Best for all parties. And I look forward to his multiple hat-tricks that he's going to score to prove us all wrong uh, during, the, during these uh, World Cup group stages. Uh, gentlemen, Andy and John, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I know it's an early start uh, for you guys in Qatar as well. Um, you're heading off to the England camp. You're going to get all yes. the news and everybody can keep up with everything that these guys are producing, uh, Mirror Online and also uh, in print. And they will join us for sure uh, on Saturday again um, after England hopefully secure their, their qualification from the group stage uh, against the United States. So from John, Andy and myself, thanks for joining us and uh, we'll talk to you again later in the week. Thanks.